Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Starship Podcast Warlock. My name is Drew. My name is Jeff. And we are in the second half of the very last season of Blackadder. So we're in Blackadder Goes Forth. This is the fourth episode of that series. Um, and after that, uh, we, we have this one and then two more. And then we have uh, Blackadder Back and Forth, I think it's called. Special. Yes. And that's it. We will be done with Blackadder. This season will be over. Wow, and that's, um, and that's perfect timing because uh, I will be, at that point, two weeks past my final uh, vaccine, so uh, oh wow, uh, I, I will be immune, and then I can get out of the house, and so I never need to podcast again. <laughs> Your need to podcast is over. Uh-huh. Well, that, that is perfect timing. Uh, actually, uh, we'll be getting my first shot tomorrow. Cool. Which, by the time you're hearing this, I will already have done. Excellent. So that's exciting. Um, I, I've else? had the Pfizer. Do you know what you're what you're getting? I'm pretty sure I'm getting the Pfizer too. Okay, that's the sequel to the Pfizer. Uh, it's a little more advanced, uh, you know. But don't be jealous. Mm, that's okay. Pfizer also. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's what you're here for. The pre-comedy. We're like warming up the audience before Blackadder. I was going to say and the opening act is always terrible. Pre-comedy, it's not comedy, it's just getting to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you arrest the comedian before the comedy actually happens, pre-comedy. Well, that's like what, like, pre-wash, that term always annoys me, because it means you're not actually <laughs> washing it, you're you're just being like, okay, you ready? Are you ready to wash? You ready to wash? Because if you actually put <laughs> I mean, water get on it, it, you're washing, I'm just saying. Well, yeah, you know, there's there's washing, and then there's washing. Yeah. You know, and yeah, the pre-wash say... is, it's not really washing, it's just kind of washing, you know? Yeah, but if that's so, then why not just say wash, and then afterwards is a wash? I mean, you know, fine. I mean, it's to hard have... to write that. Uh, well, we need we need things to indicate um, inflection, I think. That's Maybe there's a, like a little need, weird need accent some, mark below the word. Yeah, some weird diacritics or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. I, mean, uh, I feel like other languages... Uh, see if you can that. come up with that for us, listeners, uh, and let us know how to... Uh, mark the difference between a wash and a wash. I mean, unless you just call it a pre-wash. Oh, there's an idea. No, no, we're back to that problem. Um, Not a good one, just an idea. Mm. Uh, moving on. Um, yes, please. We, <laughs> please. <laughs> uh, we were talking a little bit before we get started about music, and so we're, we're cheating a little bit, uh, and we're kind of going back in time to some of the previous series for the relevance of this, but I was listening to a band today that I first found out about my freshman year in college called Steel Eye Span. And Steel Eye Span, uh, if you don't know the answer to that, then you will have no idea at all. You either, I think, know who they are or you're like, what? Uh, but they were hmm, I, I late have 70s, maybe earlier. What's that? I was just saying, yeah, I, I have opinions on Steel Ice Band, but go go ahead. You do? Okay, well, I'm really interested to hear them. I didn't even realize you did. I do. But well, I, 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 sorry, fin- finish your bit before I... Uh, oh, okay, I well, I, they, I were, they were one of two bands that I kind of found out about my freshman year of college, and basically, how to describe them. It, it's sort of like uh, it, when Led Zeppelin is at their most medieval, but like, even not zeppelin-y 
I I'm struggling here. <laughs> I don't know. Like they're not like cool like Led Zeppelin, but you you can kind of hear a little bit of that sound because they're they're from that same sort of uh, part of I guess the '70s. Uh, whether they actually are from the '70s or not, they sound like they are. Um, and they're setting folk music to uh, that kind of guitar based. Uh, you know, kind of 70s rock, but it's also still kind of folky. So, like, sometimes it sounds like something you'd hear at a Renaissance fair, and sometimes it sounds like, you know, Led Zeppelin light. Uh, so it's an interesting little is there dichotomy con- they have going. Tenu- is there a continuum? Like, you go from Led Zeppelin to, like, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and then to, uh, <laughs> to Steel Ice Band? Is that it? I think we need to set up the 10-point scale with Led mm-hmm. Zeppelin at one end and, I don't know, Perry Como at the other. Uh, um, okay, well, that's, that's quite a story. I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, so I, I think that they also have some relationship to like Sandy Denny and Fairport Convention and that whole folk thing that was happening around that time. I don't really know much about it. I just got introduced to this band by uh, one of our housemates, um, who I think we've actually mentioned on here. Hi, Greg. Um, oh, that was a Greg thing. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he, yeah, he, he, I think oh, I can dubbed see that. me. I can, I can kind of see that. I think he dubbed me some some music from them and the other band that I'll mention. But before we move on to that, uh, tell me what your your opinions are on Steel Ice Band. All right, I I, I appreciate what they introduced people to, and <laughs> and and I I like it for the most part. But um, there is one bit that is totally nails on the chalkboard for me, and it's specifically because of uh, of the amount of um, uh, you know magical choir stuff that I've I've done and all that, and that's. Their version of Gaudete. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Gaudete, Gaudete. Gaudete, Christ. Like, I mean, <laughs> okay, all right, I'm going to start to go into Dalek at this point. Oh, Gaudete, I do love it, Gaudete. I, I mean, I, I, that might have been the first time that I heard Gaudete, so I, I appreciate it through that. But and and, uh, but it's it's. It's really easy to mock, I guess. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I he's pre- referring to the fact that they have, uh, you know, fairly thick accents on that song that you normally would not sing it with if you were a part of a magical choir, I suspect. Although, right. I bet that's how it horrible, sounded back in the day. Yeah, you should sing it with a horrible American drawl. Clearly, that's much better. <laughs> Gail Day Tay. Um, <laughs> well, you know, our, our choir used to do things and like we would sing, uh, we would Bob Dylanize things and things like that. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and grab my guitar and get started on that. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so is it just the Gaudete version that you, uh, uh yeah, that you that's, that's, that's it. That's it. And oh, okay. I, I, well, uh, you can skip that track. Yeah. Um, it depends what kind of mood I'm in and, yeah what I've imbibed, I think. Um, but, but no, I, I do like them. I, I'm more curious. I, I know what the second band that you're getting into and the, and they, I find far more fascinating. Yeah, we will, we will talk about them. Um, I mean, I don't know that I have much, that much more to say about steel. Ice span, except that if you're in that mood, you're like, man, I wish I were at a Renaissance fair right now. That's a great thing to put on, uh, to simulate that. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's interesting. I mean, cause I, um, and that might have been a gateway in some ways for me, I suppose. So that kind of makes sense. I was thinking more along the lines of, you know, uh, the, the ones that do it fairly, fairly, um, fairly straight over the years. The the, uh, the Hilliard Ensemble, uh, Anonymous Four, who actually, uh, they actually had a, uh, a couple of um, 
classes that uh, a couple of us sat in on and, and actually learned things from from them. We learned like a Hildegard, uh, Hildegard von Bingham piece and things like that. Hmm. You know, if you want to if you want to rock out for stuff from you know twelve what have you, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, fascinating, fascinating stuff for me anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I imagine it is. Uh, I always enjoyed that kind of when we got to sing that kind of music in my various ensembles mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, I like Magic Girls a lot. Uh, was it? at college that we had a magical choir yeah it was and i was in it uh, yeah i, I just remembered I, did, <laughs> I didn't start i didn't start singing until grad school actually unless you want to count me as seymour in little shop of horrors and that was not singing um i'm <laughs> well yeah I, I have the tape to prove it uh, yeah i was i forgot all about the magical choir that was a lot of fun uh i think we performed at some interesting places but now i i just don't remember any of them yeah and didn't you do, i'm old did you perform at the boar's head dinner because I remember... Uh, oh, yeah, I think we did. Yeah, I thought so. And th- I feel like there was someplace else we went to, but now I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, there was also... They had, like, a Robin Hood night or something like that, although I think that was my freshman year, so so that might have been a year before your time. Um, Maybe. Because uh, I, I think I have a mug. Uh, from yeah, night. I mean, actually, there was... I'm remembering now there was a big medieval connection at our school because uh, we had some prominent medievalists on the English faculty... Um, e.g. Professor Russell Peck. Um, mm-hmm. And so there were all those things like that boar's head dinner, uh, which I guess was meant to simulate a, a medieval feast of sorts. Sad and thing for me is I think I didn't really get into that until grad school and after I left. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm mm-hmm. sure, you know, if I'd gotten into that for undergrad, I'm sure maybe you know I could have taken a couple classes in, in that. Yeah, I took a medieval drama class from... Uh, from Russell and I um, I think there was another one that I'm forgetting about medieval drama and something else that he taught that I or maybe it was was it, it can't have been a Shakespeare class maybe I'm still thinking of medieval drama anyway uh, yeah there was a lot of that stuff there was even medieval house I almost forgot about yeah, right which next was right to next to the dorm that we lived in um, and was supposedly for students that were interested in medieval things I, I still to this day have no idea what they did in there I feel like that name needs to be said, um, although ours did too. Like I picture like the dean from from uh, Animal House or the, or the parodies in Futurama. You know, Medieval House. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about the dean from Community. Oh no, it's uh, Medieval House. <laughs> I, I don't think that's how he sounds. I'm I'm sort of drifting toward um, the 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 preacher on Letterkenny. Uh, I still have to attempt to watch that show again. <laughs> um, I'm back into it now. Um, I'm at okay. the end of the seventh season, hmm. I think. Sixth or seventh? Fifth? I don't know. I'm somewhere into it, and uh, and I'm enjoying it again now. There was a, okay. a period where I was just like, nah, and now it's getting better again. So, anyway, uh, the other band I was going to bring up is Dead Can Dance. Yay. Uh, who are uh, a little more um, eclectic, I guess. They're they're not really medievalists as such, although they do have one album, which is one of the first ones I heard of them, called Ion, or Aeon, mm-hmm. uh, which has some uh, definite sort of medievalist things going on in there, particularly in a, a, a track called Saltarello. And, that was the first uh, thing I think I yeah. ever heard by them, yeah. It was a fun little, uh, fun little tune, uh, but they're, I guess, more. Uh, they use a lot more world music, a lot more um, 
instruments from around the world and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know what? I don't offhand know exactly which ones are involved, but um, it's quite a mix. And so th that album probably is the closest to what we're talking about. Um, within the realm of a dying sun's a little more kind of gothic monk type music, I guess. Um, I'm just broadly stereotyping here just to talk I, about I, the flavor of them. I have to say hearing, hearing Aeon and hearing, uh, I think towards the within and, and I'm trying to think which other, other one blew, uh, blew my mind. The first, I, that was, that was, that, I don't know if that was freshman year, but that was certainly early in, uh, in college. And I think I'd never heard anything close to that before. Um, and, yeah, and same. Lisa, and, Le and Lisa Gerard's voice, like I mean, it's funny because Saltarella was the first one, and that's an instrumental. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, then then you hear the voices, and it just, it, yeah, I, I'd never heard anything along those lines at all. It, it felt to me like a complete. Well, it, it was compared to my experience, a completely new genre. And um, um, I'm gonna go, yeah, pull out some music and go listen to them after this because it's been a long time. Yeah, I just started listening to them again uh, recently. I think the album that i like the best i always forget which is which i think towards oh, the within is the spirit chaser that's the other one. Oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um towards the within i think is the live album or a live album and then into the labyrinth i think is the one that was ah. really really big yeah um which you know kind of defies classification it's all over the place um but really some amazing amazing music on that one uh one of my favorite albums but i just have forgotten about it for a long time yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's been it's been a while for me too, and I used to play that incessantly, actually, uh, even through the beginning of grad school and and uh, and beyond. And it's funny I, that I hadn't thought about it for so long. Yeah. So if any of this sounds intriguing for for uh, Dead Can Dance, I think the two I would heartily recommend are Aeon or Ion. I'm really not sure how to pronounce it. And then uh, Into the Labyrinth are probably the two that I, I love the most, um, yeah. within the realm of a dying sun, I think it's also great. Um, so those are my faves. And then as far as steel, Eye span goes, uh, I would just pick up a compilation, honestly, yeah, if you're good, interested in checking advice. that out. Uh, there's, uh, what is it called? There's one with like six words in the title. There's one that's just like the best of steel. Eye span. Uh, but the other one is, is it Hark the village wait? I don't know. I don't, I don't know other particular albums. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know, know if that's a compilation, but that one is very good. Yeah. Anyways, um, that's a fun thing to check out. Uh, and I thought of another one while we were talking, who Ooh. kind of feels this way to me uh, as kind of like the third leg of that triangle, which is Lorena McKennett. Funny. Who? I, yeah. I, I, I briefly thought of that, and then and then that kind of went out of my head. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, that was another one. I'm trying to think how I got introduced to her. I may have just stumbled across her stuff in a record store. Uh, or I may have heard about it through, you know, one of the various, like, music lists that I was reading at the time. Mm. There was one that was very, very devoted to, like, female singer-songwriters. And I'm sure she must have come up on there. But Lorena McKennett, uh, her primary instrument is harp but you know there's all sorts of things on her albums um and they're they tend to be you know irish folk songs um there's a song called is it the blacksmith that uh she sings and uh steel i span have done a version of i'm mm -hmm. just looking to see if i can remember which one it is it might have been that 
trying to think what was the first. I think it is the blacksmith, but maybe I'm misremembering. The, the first uh, Lorena McKennett song I think I remember hearing was The Highwayman. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, God, that's a great one. Yeah. Um, just this 10-minute long uh, poem <laughs> about uh, a highwayman who falls in love with the landlord's daughter and then the uh, redcoats, I guess it was, come and, like, uh, capture her and try to use her in a scheme to, like, kill him. Um, and she basically dies to save him. Uh, and it's... Uh, it really is a tearjerker for me. Uh, yeah, brilliant, brilliant <laughs> I, song. I, it's just, I mean, it may not sound like it, but if you listen to it, it is really kind of a heartbreaker. Um, I think that actually Phil Oaks did a version of it way back Probably when. That I mean, Highwayman, I think, is, has been, I think a lot of people have covered that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I don't know if there is a tune for it. I know that it's an old poem. Um, but yeah, I, then, don't, I don't know if there was a traditional tune before Phil Oaks did it, but maybe there was. And I mean, I, as I recall, Book of Secrets, like that, that was when she finally became, uh, I think, at least somewhat known in mm -hmm. uh, the mainstream at that point. I think that was the one that really hit and got the airplay for. Um, uh, yeah, Mummer's, Mummer's, Mummer's Dance Charted. Mummer's Dance. Yep. Which is, oh, it's a weird time. And I think one of the reasons that it's fun to bring that up is that it, it was a time when you could do that. I think uh, mid 90s or so. Well, mid you know, to late I, 90s. Think of like, you know, early, you know, the, the Lilith Fair days and things when, when a lot of those are hitting, because I think of not just Lorraine McKennon, it was the, that was my introduction to, you know, Sarah McLaughlin and, and, mm -hmm. and to Tori Amos and, uh, and, you know, later on to, well, we're going a little further, but later on to Dar Williams and, um, oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, it was, it's just an interesting time in music. Uh, I think that after the turn of the, the century there, uh, things really, uh, went back to pop and kind of have stayed there um, as, you know, uh, hip hop and, you know, R&B and everything else have become sort of um, the genre. Uh, everything that's pop sounds like, you know, Janet Jackson or Rihanna or like Beyonce or anybody else, you know, it's all that is the flavor now. And it's hard to imagine someone like uh, Lorena McKennett getting a hit in today's uh, climate, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Music evolves like everything else, but uh, it's it's fascinating to think there was a time when that could happen because even if you think of the 80s too, it's like, really? That, well, you know. I mean, things also recombine and come in cycles, so I wouldn't be mm -hmm. surprised if you have something like that come back again or to come back in like a remixed genre like you look at um you know like Bull Nas X that uh that you know you're seeing things being repurposed from other areas so I wouldn't mm -hmm. be surprised um so if, if somebody wants to get into that sort of genre think about it because uh because clearly the time is now <laughs> clearly this is, this is an opportunity um yeah I mean I guess uh, the other thing it makes me think of, although this has, this is really no relationship other than my mind just went here is, uh, uh, Fever Ray doing the song from Vikings and that whole like, uh, thing being around the whole Norse thing is huge right now, which, uh, I find a little bit suspect, but I, I think that there's some interesting stuff that has come out of it. Interesting. I mean, I, I don't know so much. Uh, about that sort of thing necessarily i uh i mean um you know a lot of the sca stuff that i've done that there's been certain um 
certain interest in that for a while. Um, okay, there, there's been some Norse stuff that's been sadly problematic with uh, mm -hmm. uh, with nowadays, which is a real freaking shame because there's lots of really cool uh, cool parts of it too. Just don't just don't ruin it for the rest <laughs> of us uh, in, in be idiots. But sadly, yeah, I'm not sure I want to get into that too much. But it, it yeah, we don't have to go there. But I know what you're talking uh, about. It's the same thing yeah. I'm talking about. So yeah, yeah. I mean. But, I mean, uh, there is a lot of stuff to, to sort of mine there. And I, to me, this is all wrapped up with, with Black Adder because, obviously, um, it starts out in the same time period as some of these songs. So and kind of proceeds through those. So, it, yeah, you know, it's is, kind of an interesting association for me. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, I do feel like that this is kind of a, a leftover topic from um, from the second season that we never uh, got to, uh, which is, is fascinating to me. It's actually pretty cool. Um you know, mm -hmm. I was thinking about: Is there anything that would fit more of the later genres, either um, either Regency or um, or now World War One? You know, um, what what World War One tunes do you think are in, in vogue? Like, you know, <laughs> I was joking about Inky Dinky Parley Vu or uh, or you know, Long Long Winter Tipperary, I guess. Or I was trying to think of things from the uh, um, from like you know the the Snoopy special where he gets shot down by the Red Baron and ends up behind enemy lines and all that like uh, you know um, but yeah I don't know um, you know the closest you're going to get for me is I can start talking about Gilbert and Sullivan but that's a few decades <laughs> earlier so you know it's know. it's funny how these things come and go for me like I I really I really don't like a lot of novels until we get to the early 20th century um, but I stop liking popular music for a while in like the first half of it <laughs> because it's all these like weird novelty tunes and yeah. just corny, corny stuff. Um, you it's, know, it's either... the jazz is, the jazz is about the only thing that I can stomach from that area. But like those, the sort of novelty pop tunes are just so gross. You know, go, go listen to opera, go listen to, you know, Puccini and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, uh, get, get to that. Or, or if you want to listen to, uh, Stravinsky and cause a riot or something like that. I mean, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's true. The, the pop stuff, um, not so much interesting until jazz or, or maybe Who's, ragtime even. I mean, who is it that does uh, that composed Pierre Lunaire? Is that Schoenberg? Uh, I think so. Oh, that God, I, I should be shot. Uh, speaking of nails on a chalkboard, <laughs> I cannot oh. listen to that. It is yeah. so unpleasant. Oh, well, now that you know, I'm a Philistine. No. No, I, I don't see anything wrong with that at, at all. Um, I, I think you're probably far from the only person that feels that way. Oh, God. I mean, um, I, I don't have a problem with it. I'm not going to go out and seek it out, to be honest. It's not my favorite yeah. either, but but I do appreciate it for, for being there. I mean, you know, if you want to get more into the 20th century and, like, 12-tone stuff, and, you know, I mean, um, uh, I, I remember playing some of it when, you know, I was, I was um, you know, clarinetist for a while, and, I mean... Uh, playing Poulenc and, and a bunch of uh, mm -hmm. a bunch of other things like that. And I, I got used to it, but uh, it was not certainly the thing that I immediately set out to do. I said this sounded like the background of a um, of a Bugs Bunny cartoon, you know, like incidental music or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. so. I'm not huge on that, uh, the kind of late romantic period in music. I think for that reason, it just feels a little bit formless to me, which I, you know... I, I get what it's trying to achieve, but maybe it is the association with the cartoons where I'm just like, I find it so hard to take seriously. Yeah. I mean, I, I, 
I mean, I wouldn't seek, I wouldn't go out to write music like that either. Though that would be an interesting exercise, just as a, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I wonder. I mean, actually, one of the things I remember really fascinating about it when you get to like the the twelve tone stuff, the theory that it was all, it comes back to mathematics and group theory. And it was funny when I was taking abstract algebra and, and some of the higher math in, uh, um, in college and the music theory class that I was taking. I mean, the guy was a, a grad student. We we're doing more, you know, early uh, or regular, you know music theory, Baroque, and, and what have you, but he was talking about the stuff that he was doing as a grad student, and a lot of that was uh, was group theory-related stuff, so he was having to learn a bunch of math classes, which I was taking hmm. at the same time, so that was that was pretty fascinating. Interesting. Yeah, I've never really delved too much into that sort of mathematical connection, but it is very beautiful. Go to Lesher Bach. Ah, yes. Oh, God. I... <laughs> I, I love. I must have. I must have read that at least two or three times in college. That was another one of those. All right, blow your mind type of stuff. That that's the you know things you talk about when you when you're on, um, when, when you're you didn't need to necessarily have altering substances uh, in your bloodstream because uh, reading something like that did it for you. I think. Um, although they were they were often used in concert, but uh, th- those things that are mind blowing when you encounter in college for the first time that was that was one of them. Although, you know, that's interesting going back to, uh, you know, go to Lesher Bach and stuff like that, you know, can talk about what was going on in mathematics around uh, the time of World War One, and, you know, Gödel's in- incompleteness theorem was what? That was the 20s? 1930? So oh, not really? Far, not too far off, yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, or, or talk about what goes on in, in, in math and physics. I mean, you look at, I mean, you know... Um, Einstein and and uh, and a lot of his earlier discoveries and you know photoelectric effects stuff like that. You're, you're talking about the the first decade or two of uh, of the 20th century. You know what this makes me think is I would be fascinated to really understand how they chose the four eras that they did for Blackadder, um, and I bet it's out there someplace, which we could probably find out. I I noticed when I was like cleaning this room that I'm recording in, uh, earlier on, I was looking at the DVD for Blackadder and there are actually some documentaries on there, which I don't think I've ever watched. Hmm. So I don't know, maybe there's a bonus episode coming up. I don't think we're going to like sync up the documentary with you guys, but we might talk a little bit about the stuff that we heard on it. That's interesting. So. I mean, you know, the, the, I mean, I feel like the Elizabethan one, you kind of have to do, I mean, come on, if you're going to pick one period in, in British history, that's, that's kind of a give me. Um, but the the others, no, you're absolutely right about that. And the fact that you know they did a special for Victorian, but didn't actually set the entire series in that uh, almost mm-hmm. feels like that they were like, well, I don't know if we have enough to mine all of that. Um, you know, not to mention the fact that, I mean, all right, they did the Millennium Special and they jumped from World War One to uh, to 2000. But of course, they talked multiple times about, gee, what could we do for uh, for another series, and they never actually settled on anything. You, they, you hear different stories of they said, "Well, we thought about being a band called the the Blackadder Five, and and that uh, and that the drummer, the stupid drummer, would be named Bald Rick." And jeez, um, oh, or or you know, another thing is that it would be set in an office or whatever, so you can picture you know office politics or something along those lines. Or or if you were doing like a yes prime minister type of uh, type of government hmm. uh, for. Which is interesting if you look at back and uh, if you look at when we get to back and forth, right? In that case, it's just a bunch of friends sitting around. It's not any sort of power structure or, or army structure or something like that. And and, and they, they never were able to settle on uh, for anything for that. Plus, maybe they felt like they said what they had to say. But yeah, what other eras would you set it in? That's interesting. I mean, 
Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I don't know either. Um, I mean, these do seem like pretty solid choices, uh, but I'm sure there was some debate about it. Maybe we'll find out in these documentaries. Right now, we are going to watch an episode from Black Adder Goes Forth. Uh, we'll take a brief interlude while everyone gets their uh, their videos all set up, and then we'll sync it up and watch. So we'll be right back after this. All right, it is time to watch episode four of Black Adder Goes Forth, which is called Plan D, Private Plane. Uh, at least that's what it says at the top of my video. I don't know if everyone's had private, that. Private plane. I'm I'm intrigued oh. by the plan. By the, plan I'm D. I'm sad it doesn't say cunning plan, but. You know. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that's implied. They're all cunning. Mm. Um, so uh, Jeff and I also discovered that the different ones that we're looking at have uh, different timings. So in order to cue yours up, here's what I would suggest, dear listener. Uh, play, and then as soon as you see the first image, which is like ranks of soldiers in red coats with uh, other soldiers behind them, uh, pause it there, and then we'll all start together. Jeff, are you ready? Yep. All right. Uh, Drew, are you ready? Yes. Listener, I will say three, two, one, play, and we'll all start together. Three, two, one, play. This should Gilbert and Sullivan. Yep. Part of me sits there and I'm like, I want to know which recording that is. <laughs> I wonder if he could shazam it. Feels like a very Mr. Beanish sort of thing. He slept with his boots on. Mm
Uh-oh. Go fly a kite. <laughs> bunny, 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 bunny. <laughs> hmm. He looks vaguely familiar. <laughs> A bit of a Captain Jack thing going here. Yeah. Oh, the truth is he based it on Rick Mail. You know it. <laughs> <laughs> Petwal. Chris Brett. Related to <laughs> the floppies. Was he groping black at her? I had subtitles over it.
Minuten. <lacht> Talk about Oscar Wilde. That's very different from Rick being used as a chair. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Oh my god, again? I think I already know what is on that card. Yep. <laughs> I love how long that went on before it dawned on him. <laughs> The what now? I think those are birds. Ha, <laughs> 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 
<laughs> what could that possibly be? I don't know, but it's probably got a meh in it. <laughs> probably. That's three wood. George's looks in this entire scene. I think I understood those banters. <laughs> Freaking ball trick.
Now we see where the whole BBC budget went for this uh, season. I'm watching this trying to figure out, are we looking at stock footage? Did they really get up in a plane and then ADR it? What's going on here? <laughs> I wonder if that's true. And they will rick their rewingi. <laughs> And drum roll, please. Is this aid? Nope. <laughs> this episode is all about his looks. I know.
What does that mean? Oh. Oh, yeah, let's talk about passenger pigeons, shall we? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Seventeen. <laughs> he is in so many jails. Here's aid. There we go. <laughs> I thought he was going to say get thee to a nunnery
<laughs> Whoops, there it is. <laughs> God. <laughs> Man, Baldrick takes a licking in this episode. <laughs> I love reunions. <laughs> <laughs> ah the raiders of the lost ark <laughs> ending right or not ending but i feel like rick got two seasons worth of frustration out in that episode <laughs>
<laughs> oh my god god you hear the applause for uh oh yeah they all there my god And seeing Rowan Atkinson's reaction to him. Trying not to laugh. Hmm. Or something. Alright, well, uh, that's the end of that. Uh, we will take... Outtakes. Yes, no kidding. We'll take another short little interlude here and we'll come back and talk about it. Right after this. Okay, we have just watched the fourth episode of Black Hatter Goes Forth, known as Private Plane. Uh, Jeff, what'd you think? Um, you know, I've been looking forward to this episode, uh, you know, remembering, <laughs> certainly remembering the guest stars involved. And um, the one thing I was curious about, and, um, and it's true, is that, you know, how... Do, the first time in season two when we see Flashheart, that I mean, he's a minor character. He shows up and steals the whole show, whereas he's much more front and center in this one. And it may be a little too much, actually. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, and, and it's I'm glad that they brought Gabriel Glaster back and for something, you know, a little more akin to uh, to her role, I suppose, in the first one, although she gets much less in this one for which although fortunately they gave her a much meatier part in the episode previous to that. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I liked the episode, but I, I didn't like it as much as I remembered liking it. Um, I, uh, I, I think I enjoyed AIDS appearances, uh, AIDS appearance more than, um, than Rick's actually in this. Huh. Interesting. Um, I loved this one. Uh, and I kind of expected to find Flashheart a little more insufferable. I think you felt about him the way I thought I was going to, but I actually really enjoyed it because <laughs> it is so ridiculous. Um, and it's fun to watch him do this role. Like, I felt like the original one felt a bit rickish to me in a way, whereas this kind of doesn't. It feels a little bit more... Uh, I don't know. I, I, it's hard to explain. He feels like not believable, but like he looks believable in a way that the other one was sort of absurd. I don't know uh, if that makes any sense, but like, um, I, I guess in short, I liked it. Um, AIDS stuff. Uh, I enjoyed, although it, it, it's the accent of course is shaky. Um, so I'm distracted by the fact of, is he going <laughs> to, he's going to stick the landing on this, on this ridiculous German accent or what? And, and uh, still, it's not anywhere near Hugh Laurie's uh, uh, Inquisitor <laughs> accent from the second season. No, but that I is what I thought about. 
Yeah, which I love. I mean, like I said, I adore that just because of how, uh, what a wonderful and deliberate mess that is. I mean, like, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's not Hugh Laurie failing. He's doing exactly what he's intending on this one. Uh, yeah. for, for AIDS... Um, for AIDS, yeah, not the best German accent, but who cares? I, I love the character in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the character. I mean, maybe that was the other thing for me about about um, Flash Art, that part of the reason why I think he works better as a, as a smaller character is because of the fact that there's, you know, there's not much range. He's very one note, and it's a good one mm-hmm. note, but I feel like for something like that, that works as a scene or two and not, uh, a, and not the whole, um, a good focus of the episode. That said... Um, you know, I, I do like uh, the fact that um, he gets to give uh, Darling his uh, comeuppance, and um, mm-hmm. uh, and and the way that he shifts the social dynamic of this is uh, is entertaining on its own. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very good. I uh, I did remember the whole twenty minute or thing, and I don't remember if mm-hmm. I remembered it from this or if I just kind of realized. Uh, probably a combination of both, because I do remember Aid as. Uh, von Richten, von Richten. Is that his name? Yeah, Richtoven. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I did remember that Flashheart showed up. I kind of forgot that they were the same episode, uh, but I do remember that that prison scene and him being in it. It's weird that there's like another dude who comes in first. Like, what was the point of him? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, that it's almost like they felt like that they couldn't have they couldn't have justified him there in multiple scenes. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm that, you know, maybe a didn't have time to film the full thing. No, it's a, it's a very good question. Uh, this is, it's mm. not the equivalent of, you know, in the, uh, in the second season, you had the whole bit, the whole charades bit with the, uh, uh, with the henchmen and all of that. Like that, there was an excuse to have somebody else there, but for this, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that it does set up Richtofen as, uh, more sinister, like, if he's the only one there, you're like, is he the only guy in the whole prison? But True. this guard comes in and says, oh, you're about to meet this horrible sadist. Then you it builds him up a little bit more, and that, mm-hmm. that establishes the joke. So maybe that's what's up. Um, yeah, this one's fun. I mean, it's, it's funny and kind of not surprising how much of, how many of all of these plots really revolve around how do I get out of this war? Mm-hmm. Which, I wonder how that went over. Like, I... I genuinely do not know how um, this war is regarded in England, at least at the time this is going out. If people were like, that's a, a shocking thing for a wartime thing to be about. Or if it's like, well, of course he wants to get out of the war. That makes sense. Who wouldn't? I mean, it's, it's funny, right? I mean, if you think about MASH, for example, right? MASH came about in... Uh, you know, the movie was 1970, the series was in the 70s, right? So Vietnam was in the forefront at that point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and certainly people were not so much um, interested in the war. By the time uh, this comes out, this is 88 and 89 or whatever, that, uh, you know, I think there, there was more of a nostalgia for that type of thing, I, I think so. Uh, but in terms, of, in terms of the idea of them trying to get out of the war and the escape of it, yeah, how much of it was a cr- critique of... Um, you know, late Thatcherism in its own way as much as mm. uh, the Young Ones was of, of early. I, I'm not entirely sure. I think you'd find maybe other other works that um, that have. I mean, well, hell, think of like Catch Twenty Two, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that, that's that's actually a pretty good comparison. Um, 
you know, I liken this to the prisoner, I think, at one point. Again, uh, somebody attempting to escape and, and and failing and perhaps having their own little moral victory. Oh, my God, this is the prisoner as a comedy. Um, <laughs> I mean, come on, you can see Stephen Fry as, as number two, I'm just saying. Oh, my God. Uh, it would be hilarious for... I, I'd there love to go. see a prisoner parody with Rowan Atkinson as, uh, as the as, McGuin part. Yeah, all right. Now, now I, I'm going to have to write this. Like, I think we... we <laughs> oh my god um oh my god oh it, i'm gonna i'm gonna have to think about this that's such a fun idea i'm not a I number love... i'm a free man <laughs> i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> oh that laugh makes oh, me so we are, happy we are totally onto something i'm telling you oh my god well uh I, yeah so i mean i enjoyed this one a whole bunch um i'm Trying to think if I enjoyed it the most so far. It's possible that I have. I, but then I, I always be... say that after the episode is over, so who knows? Yeah, I mean, I should be clear on this one that I'm I'm not... Um, I, I would watch this one again easily. I am not mm -hmm. um, slagging on this at all. It's just, it's partially because, uh, you know, my expectation for this one is as high as, like, second season episodes at the at this point. So um, that that's that's the only reason that it didn't quite hit that that mark because it feels like mm -hmm. it's the case where to me that you had somebody that is great in this role that you elevate to starting and all of a sudden it's something that worked better off to the off to the side um but you know it's still you know it, it's still pretty damn enjoyable it's still probably easily in the top half of the episodes at least so um i wonder what would have yeah. happened if he hadn't been teaching the flying school or whatever like what if you have him at the beginning and then he shows up again at the end to rescue him. Maybe. Um, it's like, how did you, how did you manage to get in here? And then suddenly it's flash art again. You know, it, it's, it's interesting if, if he maybe even hadn't crashed a bit in the beginning, I could actually picture more along the lines of that. We don't necessarily meet him even until the flying school that, um, that, you know, it's more of uh, let's say George and company are busy reading about him the same way that, uh, you know, that, um, Baldrick was going on about the Scarlet Pimpernel in the mm -hmm. third season, and and, and Blackadder slagging on oh, Gamon, that's that's a whole lot of bull or whatever. And then the first time we meet him is in the Flying School. Um, yeah, I mean, I I feel like maybe your uh, feeling about it might have been alleviated by one having him in one fewer scene or sequence. Yeah, I, um, I think so. so that it's more of a climax when he finally appears. Otherwise, it's just like, oh yeah, of course he's there. Uh, he's been through the whole thing. But, I mean, when you've got Rick Mayall and you've got him playing that character, you don't underuse him. <laughs> so yeah, I get I, it. Yeah. Um, and and I, I do agree that, like, you know, he, he fits, he looks right uh, for the, the character. Um, mm -hmm. he, he looks he looks perfect in this. And it's a case where, uh, oddly enough, yeah, it's, it's funny, where he's an atom bomb dropped in in the, uh, in the second season. And this one, because the war is already loony enough, uh, frankly, at that point, that he's he's, uh, I, I think he's in some ways uh, it's less of a, um, it's less of a shock in its own own way. I, I don't know quite how to do how to describe it, but but it's uh, he he does fit more in this. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think I see what you're getting at. He does feel like a, <laughs> at least, in the the same 
circumstances, you know, uh, Darling and, and Melchit, he, he feels like he does belong in this weird world, I agree. I, I'm amused by the fact that, you know, they've given him a good mustache, uh, as they have with mm-hmm. some of the others, that, you know, that the the two characters that do not have the mustaches are the two lowest status characters in the show. Uh, that's that's telling on its own. Oh, uh, yeah, that's like true, this, huh? The size of the mustache, you know, Melchitz is huge, um, <laughs> uh, and certainly... Um, uh, males had a decent size, you know. Uh, Darling's is is not as big. I mean, it's kind of medium or whatever. Um, Blackadder's is is long but sort of thin, and then uh, both uh, both George and uh, and Baldrick's are uh, are you know they're completely clean shaven. Yeah, uh, I I think you've stumbled on something here, and this is the tie into the Christmas special. Oh uh, yes, with the mustache store. Uh, mm-hmm. It was clearly a foreshadowing of the importance that mustaches would play in the social hierarchy of Blackadder goes forth. It's a four or five o'clock shadow. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I don't get it. Um, uh, it, wasn't <laughs> it totally wasn't worth it. That's why oh. I'm not writing for the show. Although I am going to write that prisoner parody. I'm telling you. Look, it's just improv. You can always edit it later. Um, <laughs> I'll leave that up to what you. A, one of the jokes that I loved from this one was. God, it's a barren desert out there, isn't it? Belchett <laughs> <laughs> is staring at the back of the map. It's so dumb, but his it's, delivery of it is so it, perfect. It's true. It's it's you know that joke has been done to death on yeah. in so many other ways. But you're right. It's it's he sells it so perfectly, and it's you can see the setup. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's why. I mean, I think it's partially so funny because you can see the setup, and it's still it's still so bloody well delivered um mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> the whole bit where they show the amount of land that they've captured and it's yeah, a life-size model that that's one of my favorite you know i mean and, and that's that's very much you know uh the insanity and the craziness of world war one and and mm-hmm. uh and the, the game of inches like I, I think that's such a beautiful distillation of the entire insanity of of that war yeah, I, I just, I mean, I don't know how many other shows do this, kind of, kind, of, kind of coming back to the whole position on the war thing, but, like, I love, one of the things I do love about Blackadder, and I've commented on it before, is is how it takes historical things and points out the absurdity of them, you know, as as you might do if you were living in that context at that time, uh, and, and somehow doing it for war and the kind of circumstances they were in here somehow just feels like the uh apotheosis of that whole thing uh it just it just feels like the uh, the conclusion that really makes it meaningful we're not talking about morris dancers now we're talking about Mm -hmm. like insane things that happen in the 20th century uh and these horrible wars that we get into yeah well, like I said, I, I'm coming back to Catch Twenty Two. Like I'm surprised mm-hmm. that I didn't mention that beforehand. That's that's the ideal. I, I feel like that that they had to have been thinking of that to some extent when when this came. Sure, I, absolutely. Yeah, I believe it. Ah, good times. Enjoyed that one. Um, we are, of course, going to watch the fifth episode next time, and then after that, it's the last episode of Black Arrow Goes Forth, and of course, we will then do our rankings of uh, this series, because it's not possible to talk about art or entertainment without having to pit it against itself in a contest to see which one is the best. Which can uh, but, you survive. Know, <laughs> it gives us something to talk about. You know, uh, If you have a ranking in mind, uh, we'd love to know what your favorite episode in this series, or indeed any of the rest of them are. 
Uh, you can reach us on Twitter at Starship Warlock without the podcast in the middle. It's just at Starship Warlock. And, uh, you know, subscribe and, and talk to us and everything. Just, just everything. Okay. Sorry, I have nothing to add there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I did either, but I kept yeah. talking anyway. Um, okay. All right, folks, we're, we're going to sign off now. Uh, you have been listening to... Wait, wait, wait. I forgot. I'm doing it the wrong word again. This has been Drew. This has been Jeff. And you have now been listening to Starship Podcast Warlock. Warlock. <laughs> ah, well put. Thank you.